Let's all stand as we worship the Lord together this morning. is 
have a seat. Feel free to um, to sing along on this next song. It's going to be a new one, so not many of you will know it. But um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you so grateful that everything we just sang is true about you. That you are a good, good Father. Lord, that you are for us, that you're not against us, and that you're almighty. Lord, you're completely sovereign, and you're completely good. And so we know that everything that touches our lives, you're in control of and working for our good. And Lord, we just praise you for that. Thank you for the hope that we can have in and through that. Lord, we just want to continue to lift your name high this morning. In the name of Jesus.
on here? Well, good morning, brothers and sisters in the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Well, bless you, worship team, for stirring our hearts uh, in worship this morning. If you should happen to be here today and you're a visitor uh, visiting with us, we're, we're delighted that you're here in fellowship with us. And this morning, I have the honor of introducing uh, to you today your pastor-teacher, uh, as I have this distinct honor, uh, a particular scripture came to mind, uh, Philippians 4.12. Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Your teacher today is rich uh, in faith, in his faith, uh, and in life experiences, and ultimately uh, in the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been through tough, uh, some times of blessing, 
Uh, he's been through some tough times of tribulation, uh, and he has remained faithful. Uh, as a matter of fact, his message today, uh, we, I didn't know what the title of his message was. It is entitled, Tough Hearts for Tough Times. So, and I wrote that before I knew what his message was. But uh, he was born and lived in Phoenix City, Alabama until he was 15 years old. Uh, when he was 15, he moved with his family to the big city of Birmingham, and he graduated from Birmingham's Phillips High School, where he played the sousaphone in the school band. And while he was in high school, a Southeastern Bible College student led him to Christ. He became so enamored with his Savior that he wanted to deepen in his understanding of him and enrolled and eventually graduated from Southeastern Bible College with emphases in Bible and missions. He then continued theological study, completing master's work at Wheaton College near Chicago with emphases in Bible and missions. In addition, he completed additional master's study at UAB and Grace Theological Seminary in Indiana. He then went on and received his doctorate in Bible and missions from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School near Chicago. He and his late wife Barbara served as missionaries in Alaska where he served as an administrator of a child caring home for needy and neglected Indian kids. Uh, they were blessed with three children, one of whom is now in heaven. He later served for seven years as a pastor of a developing church in Birmingham, he also served as a pastor for two and a half years of a developing church. However, the bulk of his ministry was spent as a beloved professor at Southeastern Bible College where he taught Bible missions, missions and communications from 1970 to 2017, 47 years. Uh, I'm going to hand for that. Uh, he has been active in our fellowship for some time, serving several terms before our merger as an elder and one term since the merger. Uh, he and his wife, Julie, are blessed with two children, uh, Harley and Bethy, whom we have the pleasure of uh, spending time with when mom and dad get away. So, But the Lord's blessed him with five children, four grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. Foremost, he wants you to know that he is a sinner saved by grace, who was called of God for ministry. It's my honor to present to you my dear friend, Dr. Hugh Hughley. As usual, Darrell was overly kind in his introduction. Another line or two and I can run for president. <laughs> I'm always delighted to have the opportunity of ministry. I've taught Sunday school here a number of times and I've had opportunity to preach in any number of services over the years. And it is a privilege this morning to share the scriptures with you. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It's a wonderful text. It's somewhat biographical. And it gives direction to us 
in some of the stresses we face in life. And every saint from time to time goes through times of stress and difficulty. If there was ever a day when we needed tough hearts for tough times, it's in the present. Follow as I read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far above all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Trust the Lord to bless his word, the king's word, to the needs of our hearts this morning. Let us pray. What a privilege it is, Heavenly Father, to call you Father and to be in fellowship with you through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lovingly laid down his life and shed his blood for the sins of the world. How we thank you that through simple faith and trust in Christ, we can know you in a personal way and be prepared for eternity. We thank you for the privilege of being gathered here this morning. We pray that by the Spirit of God, what transpires here will bring honor and glory to the King Thank you for our worship leaders today and the messages conveyed in the song and in the praying and, Lord, in our fellowship. So speak to us by your spirit this morning. Have your will and way in each of our hearts. We pray humbly for your sake and your glory. With thanksgiving, amen. home schools, and public schools. The younger among us are in them, and we who are older were once in them. Perhaps with a bit of imagination, you as I can remember my grade school years, your grade school years. Mine took place in a double-storied red brick building on a hill. I could see it from the backyard of the home where I grew up. And I remember a number of things as I was exposed, like you, to reading, writing, and arithmetic in that school. And a song adds the line, taught with the tune of a hickory stick. And like maybe a few of you, but unlike Brother Brothers and sisters among us who were good in school, like Brother Franklin, I was not. I had to be aided from time to time with my learning. And I enjoyed, or rather I experienced, behavioral modification as a result of the hickory stick. 
I remember distinctly the time of graduation from grade school. Then we went six years. And I had to give my first speech, as I recall. I was a 12-year-old boy dressed in white. Before me was an audience of peers and parents and teachers. And I stood before that crowd, skinny, shy, <laughs> and scared. Somehow I got through the ordeal. And never would I have dreamed that in future years much of my time would be spent behind church pulpits and college lecterns. A missionary and a pastor in Alaska. And of course, a professor here for a number of years at Southeastern. And during those times, I've had the privilege of speaking in many, many churches, missions conferences, and revival meetings. I've had the joy of taking several missions teams over some 27 years to several mission fields of the world. After grade school is junior high school. That's a time when kids get their own lockers and go to a different teacher for every class. It's a time when boys actually begin to comb their hair. And girls get more interested in grooming. And uh, I have learned, even observed, that at times those girls have minor, if not major, battles with their mamas about how they're going to look. It's a time that passes quickly. And then, of course, there's high school, algebra, civics, biology, history, chemistry, and any number of other subjects. Here we come. So one plunges into the high school years. During those times, guys begin to notice that girls really are pretty. And girls begin to feel that boys, I have been told, are hunks, are handsome, <laughs> are hopeless. <laughs> it's a time of sports and dates in daddy's car. And puppy love. And we have to remember what Billy Graham said. Puppy love is real to the puppy. And indeed it is. What happens after high school? Will it be the job market? The military? Going to work in daddy's business? Will it be trade school or university? And... We move along into those years. And, of course, we prepare for college. In college, often, we focus on what our careers might be. Will I be whatever? And depending on vocation and God's guidance, we may have to go on to graduate school. That was the experience that a sovereign God had prepared for me. We're thankful for the schools that we have been exposed to. But there is still another school of major importance. This school offers excellent training. 
Its curriculum is superior. Its leadership cannot be measured. It has superlative text. It's open to diverse ages and cultures and countries. Though it offers no weekends off, no summer breaks, no holidays, people continue to enroll. What is the name of this school? How do you get on board? What's special about its text and its leadership? Why are its learning programs described as being so helpful and outstanding? Well, for our purposes today, let's call this school Deity University. You see, Almighty God has a school of learning for his people. And the study materials, wow. They were prepared by Moses and by prophets and by Hebrew kings and apostles and a few others. Its headmaster is an Israeli Jew whom we call the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be his name. His writings, oh my goodness, they make the simple-minded wise. They make the faint-hearted bold. They mend the spirits and hearts of the broken-hearted. They put fire in the bosom of the preachers and teachers and missionaries and all who counsel and give forth God's word. What a school it is. It gave rise to one of the history's greatest spiritual leaders. He was a German professor named Martin Luther. I've read several writings and biographies related to Martin Luther. The greatest of them, in my judgment, was given as a gift to me by a member of this church. And I Read it thoroughly. And Eric Metaxas is his name. And Eric Metaxas said of Luther that his life teaching and all gave rise to one of history's greatest spiritual revolution. His life and ministry relit the fires of evangelical faith. And we are the beneficiaries of that. Now, the Apostle Paul was a student and a writer in Deity University. We read a portion of his compositions in our text this morning. And I believe this passage conveys the thought of what we will call tough hearts for tough times. There are times when nations and regions of a country go through tough times, like the hurricanes and floods that we've had in recent times. There are times in the lives of individuals when they have tough times. Illness arises. A, lost, a loved one is lost. A monetary setback happens. And any number of things lead us to tough times. But the heart of this passage is very simple. A believer can have a tough heart in tough times. 
How? By following the guidelines of our passage. I submit to you that first of all, we can have this kind of heart with biblical resolve as noted in verse 16. Secondly, with a biblical result as recorded in verse 17. And thirdly, with a biblical reminder in verse 18. Now think with me today about tough hearts in tough times. Notice, first of all, the biblical resolve. It is twofold. In the passage, we are given reference about the outer man and the inner man. The outer man is what we see and look upon. It is what we sense with our sensory perceptions. And the Apostle Paul said in thinking about this outer man, he gives us four contrasts in the context. Verses 8 and 9 especially. He said, we are afflicted, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Paul was buffeted by the devil. He was beaten by Roman rulers. He was stoned by pagans in the city of Lystra. He was jeered by Athenian philosophers who thought he was a two-bit thinker. He was opposed by Corinthian critics. He was lashed by fellow Jews. He was abandoned by personal helpers. He was a victim of over 20 types of afflictions that he lists in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Read them. But he didn't lose heart. He heeded what Solomon said. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. He responded to what he told the Thessalonians. Be strong in your heart. Now why is this outer man collapsing? Paul tells us. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, that through one man, sin entered the human race. And we've been in trouble ever since. Stresses wear us down. Disease takes its toll. Accidents happen. Wars and revolutions occur. Hurricanes, floods, tornadoes, fires. Surgeons can reshape our bodies. We can even change the color of our hair. I spoke in a church not long ago, and a lady who knew me asked me if I was using dye in my hair. I felt it was a compliment. No, I don't, for the record. But at any rate, Jenny Craig, and of course, Marie Shriver, can tell us how to reshape our bodies. 
but no one is alive who was born in 1900. The outward man perishes. How tragic it is that so many spend so much time on the outward man and give so little attention to the inward man. Paul talks about it. Now, what is this inner man? It's where our mind is, our will is, our thought life occurs. It's the home of the soul and the spirit, the emotions. And the Bible tells us that it can be renewed. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man can be renewed. How does it take place? In recent times, I've read the biographies again of George Whitfield, a great evangelist in the 18th century. John Wesley, a great church planter and evangelist in the 18th century. Dwight L. Moody in the 19th century. Billy Graham in the 20th century. And you know a common thread that weaves through all of their lives. One of the first ways that the inner man can be renewed is through prayer. And it's why Jesus said, man ought always to pray and not to faint. In the early church record, chapter 4, verse 31 of Acts, we read that when those early Christians played, prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit for ministry. So prayer is a way whereby this inward man is renewed. My little Bethy came home, only she's not so little anymore, but she come, came home not long ago with a sign she had won it in a church ladies' meeting. Now, trust me, we don't have uh, Wetumpka-type gambling in our church, y'all. But she won it, and what did the sign say? When life gets you down, kneel. It was an emphasis on prayer. A second thing is worship. We read in the scripture that the early Christians worshiped, and weren't we lifted in the music this morning as our worship leaders led us? And weren't we so lifted not long ago when the choir sang and it lifted our hearts and aided our worship? We appreciate those who lead us. We appreciate the preaching of George and Thad and our Sunday school teacher. Daryl wouldn't tell you, but I, I'm in his Sunday school class. And he's a pretty hot number. Y'all to come and hear him, y'all. We appreciate you, Daryl, so very, very much. Well, worship is a part of renewal. The scripture is a part of renewing this inner man. How sad it is that so few read the scripture on a regular basis and ask God to speak to their hearts. The Bible says that the Scripture is a light to the pathway. 
It also offsets sin. David wrote, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Yes, prayer, worship, scripture, but there's another special one given reference in the word of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we read that angels are ministering spirits. When you read the book of Daniel, you learn, we learn, and we see emphasized the help that an angelic being was to Daniel as he was given disclosures about future world leaders and coming kingdoms. When Paul was at sea on the way to Rome, in the middle of a terrible storm, he spoke to the crowd to calm them down, and he said, This very time an angel stood by me. When the Lord Jesus was tempted, according to Matthew, tempted by the devil, angels came and comforted him. When he prayed in Gethsemane before the cross, an angel, according to Luke, came to comfort him. I believe that when we get to heaven, we will find out the times that angels came to our aid and we were unaware of it. I don't believe the angels are behind every tree, but I believe there have been times in my own life when an unseen helper was there, and if I had time, I could tell you about them. So, we need, first of all, biblical resolve. Notice, secondly, now in verse 17. Verse 17 talks about light affliction and something that's eternal. We need to realize, first, that our Afflictions are, according to the Scripture, if you've ever been under a surgeon's knife, as I have many times, and during the recovery period, you don't feel like the affliction is very light. I can remember a few times when I had to say, Julie, honey, come and help me, as I go to the little room, because it hurt so bad when I got up from my chair. We realize that our afflictions are light, and momentary. And we shouldn't be surprised that we have affliction. What did Jesus say? In the world you will have what? Tribulation. He said we would. Job is an example of someone facing tribulation. I've lost one child to glory. Job lost all of his children. All of his possessions were stolen by thieves. His body was covered with infection. Some of his friends hinted that uh, he had character defects. His wife said, curse God and die. Don't you love what Job said? I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the latter days on this earth I shall stand. What a testimony. 
I know he lives. Our afflictions are light and momentary. Norman Geisler, a great writer, theologian, professor, seminary president, said, Few enduring lessons in my life came through pleasure. All of mine have come through pain. Do you feel left out of the crowd sometimes? Do you struggle with an inferiority complex? <laughs> Some of my friends said, Hugh, you really do have an inferiority. <laughs> do you grieve over a wayward child or family member? Sometimes we weep over those. Do you live today with unrelieved pain? Do you wonder, will there be a comforter there when I'm old and feeble and cannot care for myself? Do you feel abandoned by one you loved and you trusted and that one flaked out on you? Do you wonder sometimes if relief is coming to get me out of the mess I'm in? Is your budget in hemorrhage mode? Are you grieving over the loss of a family member or a friend? Are you a caregiver giver and no relief in sight? Well, hey, y'all. Paul has good news for us. He says those afflictions are light. And they're momentary. They are but a small dot on the timeline of eternity. An old spiritual goes like this. Soon I will be done with the troubles of the world. No more weeping and wailing. I'm going home to be with God. How wonderful that truth is. When indeed we can, in the spiritual words, steal away to be with Jesus. And what a happening it's going to be when the real saints go marching in. Wow. Are there any people in here that know how to say amen? We're going to glory, y'all. It's wonderful. The trumpet will sound in the midnight cry will be heard. Get on board, little children. There's room for many more. How thrilling to contemplate those marvelous truths. Yes, our afflictions are light, and they are momentary. But I love what Paul says. It's producing for us an eternal weight of glory, Far beyond all comparison. Coming weight. Now focus on that word weight. It's a special word. It conveys the idea of literally being overpressed and pressed down. And that's the word that the scripture uses to describe what we will experience 
For Jesus said, The glory you have given to me, I have given to them. Hebrews tells us he tasted death, bringing many sons to glory. The scripture says the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be ours. I love what the great Greek scholar W.E. Vine said and underlined it. He said it's the state of blessedness into which believers are to enter hereafter. How thrilling. How glorious. How wonderful. And there will be crowns. There's the soul winner's crown. Some among us are evangelists and very gifted at winning souls. All of us are to be witnesses. And a few times, maybe more in my life, I've been there when I had the honor of leading a soul to Christ. There's the crown of righteousness or godly behavior in the Christian's life. There is a crown for perseverance under trial that we face on the mission field. I know enough about missions, dear friends, to realize that all is not holy on the mission field. I've been in missionary meetings that were tense and electric with tension. But listen, we need to persevere under those trials. Notice, too, that we're given a crown for being faithful shepherds of souls. Deacons and elders, listen to that. What a responsibility for the elders and the deacons of this church to be good shepherds of souls. And what a word for fathers who should be leaders of Families and shepherds of the souls placed under their care. And husbands, guys, don't miss that. There's a crown for those who run the Christian race well. And of course, there's that great phrase for the faithful that the king will utter, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, I don't want to talk too much about my family today. And by the way, I am excited. Three of my children are here today. And I'm about to have a genuine son-in-law. Never had one of those before. And he's here today, and I'm excited about what's coming. As I get to know this dear brother in a greater way. Now, we have some driving lessons underway in our family at the present hour. I don't want to call any names, but when you look around, he's a head taller than many. And he has a, a mop of red hair that he inherited from Grandma's genes. And I'm his teacher. <laughs> Mom's nervous. Tension is a little greater than mine at times when she's in the car with a kid behind the wheel. So I've been the teacher. And several times, when the driving lesson is finished, I've said, Son, you did a good job. And oh, dear God and glory.
Y'all pray for me. I want to hear the king say, Son, you did a good job. Daughter, you did a good job. Don't you want to hear that? You did a good job. And that's what we're looking for. We long to hear it in glory. Now there's a biblical reminder in our text, the biblical resolve. We come thirdly to verse 18 that tells us a number of things we should focus upon. The biblical reminder is concerning temporal things and eternal things. What's peculiar about the temporal things from the first century? Christians were placed in the lion's den and thrown out to the lions in the Colosseums. Bible translators in history have been burned at the stake. Early Japanese Christians, do you realize that they were crucified at low tide because they had dared to call upon the name of Jesus? And they were crucified by their enemies. And we've had a number of other things. We have Christians taken to court sometimes because they dared to stand on the word of God. Over a hundred churches have been burned in northern Nigeria by the adherents of a group called Boko Haram. They are the radical group that kidnapped over 300 girls in a Christian boarding school. And some of those girls have never been accounted for. Believers have been slaughtered by the scores in southern Sudan. And this is a time when faith often is not welcome in the university context. We've had the rise of modern cults who deny the realities of Scripture. I had one of them tell me that Jesus rolled spiritually but not physically. And another that teaches that somehow another we men will become gods over our own planets in the future. And some who tell us that there are many ways to know God. One of the great preachers of a generation ago was an African-American named E.V. Hill. He was one of my favorite preachers. I heard him preach on the text. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Some of you may have heard of the great Scottish preacher, Peter Marshall. So many people wanted to hear him in his Washington pulpit that they had to have rented pews. So great was the pressure of the crowds to hear him. He was stricken with a heart problem and in the hospital. His last words that his wife heard, Catherine, were, Kathy, darling, I'll see you in the morning. 
In later writing, Catherine said she was conscious of unseen presence in the room. And indeed, unseen beings, indeed the words of Scripture, swing low, sweet chariot. A band of angels coming after me, coming for to carry me home. Are you weary? Are you ready? Have you placed faith in the dying and risen Lord? Recently, I read of a man who was shot in the yard of his own home. His wife heard him praying, Dear God, forgive me of all of my sins. Have you prayed that prayer? It's a significant prayer that needs to be prayed. We follow on in the passage concerning eternal things. What does the verse say? But the things which are not seen are eternal. And in the context, we read of Jesus' resurrection, and we learn from Scripture that this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. Are you tired of going to cardiologists? urologists, ontologists, gastroenterologists, and you ladies going to those dudes whose medical profession starts with G. Don't you get tired of all of that? Of course we do. There's coming another day. Hey, y'all, I think I know a little bit about what's going to happen in glory. I'm looking forward Seeing you, Scott, run in heaven's race, you won't have a limp leg to run on. You'll have a new one. This corruptible is going to put on incorruption. I'm going to rejoice that some who have better knees than they've had here below. And we'll join in the reunions of departed loved ones. In the words of a song, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Donna, I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to be watching when you see in sharp focus the glorified, risen Jesus Christ. And I know what he looks like. John the Revelator, in whose book you are teaching, there appears a scene. And what does it say? His hair was white like wool, speaking of his eternality. He's clothed in a white robe, speaking of his righteousness. He has a golden girdle about him, speaking of his royalty. His eyes are as a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished glass. And the glory of his countenance is like the sun shining in its strength. We're going to watch, Donna, when you see all that. How great and glorious. I sometimes sing in my heart, and Squire Parsons can sing it so well. Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. And someday on you I will stand. There my home shall be eternal. How great it is. 
There's a song that Julie and I listened to and enjoyed. It's a little corny. Did you ever hear the song, Midnight Train to Georgia? I think you have. The story, story speaks of a woman's love for her man. And he's about to relocate to Georgia. And because of her great love for him, she's catching the midnight train to Georgia. Why? She says, I would rather be in his world than be without him in mine. And I think about eternity. Hadn't you rather be in his world than be without him in this world? Wow. I'd rather be there. That's what I think about Jesus. In his book, The Problem of C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse the deep world. If your heart is like mine, I need sometimes to hear God's megaphone and to listen to what he has to say. Now, remind you, beloved friend, we are not victims, first of all. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. The devil would like to fill us with defeatism. But we're more than a conqueror. I would secondly like to remind you that you and I are not alone in our affliction. The king has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Thirdly, we need to learn with Paul, grace is sufficient for every need. And to remember that his strength, and it ought to be 2 Corinthians on your notations, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. What does it say? Grace is sufficient. Hey, y'all. Apply this truth. Believers can have tough hearts in tough times. Reach out to a hurting friend or believer today and encourage them to know that we can have tough hearts in tough times. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and how we pray that you will take the things of Christ and help us to apply them to the needs of our lives and our hearts. Lift up the discouraged today. Lift up the heartbroken. Give strength to the feeble. Encourage us all to follow you faithfully, and to minister to others as we are able. For the sake and glory of the King, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Hugh. We can all stand as we close. Just rejoicing in the hope that... Uh,
that we've just heard about, that one day that trumpet will sound, dead in Christ will rise, we'll meet Jesus in the air. That's our hope, and um, let's praise God for it and sing about it. Our Lord is risen and coming again. In this truth our hope remains. Till His appearing, O glorious day, when we will all be changed. In the twinkling of an eye, our hope will be made sign when the trumpet sounds bursting through the clouds we'll behold our savior and our king the dead in christ will rise we'll meet them in the skies and with our lord we will always be Consider these present sufferings are not worthy to compare with the glory revealed on that day when we meet him in the air. Oh, and we will be like him. When the trumpet sounds bursting through the clouds, we'll behold our Savior and our King. The dead in Christ will rise, we'll meet them in the skies, and with our Lord, we will always be. Blessed week. Greet one another as you go. You're dismissed.